thank you for giving me a three-week hiatus. We'll, we'll be uh, uh, kind of back in the saddle and, and uh, uh, we'll be uh, actually in Matthew 13 this week and next week. So if you're in town and not uh, traveling somewhere on Labor Day, I hope to, hope to see you here. But we're going to look at um, kind of a different parable today, uh, and I hope I'll be able to unpack it for you. But thanks to uh, Brother Paul and to you for uh, giving Ron to me a, a couple of weeks off. We, uh, we spent two of those weeks, two of those weekends in um, various parts of Italy. The two weekends we were in um, with friends in Piobico and in Fano, which is in Marche. If you want to look at your map, it's on the kind of center eastern coast, on the Adriatic coast, and uh, uh, everything. Frank, you said it, about everything we saw anywhere we went was beautiful. And uh, uh, except driving a standard shift car through a roundabout in Rome, that was not beautiful. (laughs) You know, you haven't lived till uh, you know you've got you got four lanes trying to go around a roundabout and everybody's doing their own thing and and now add to that you've got scooters and these stand-up scooters coming to whizzing around you so I'm just glad I didn't hit somebody or somebody hit me and got back safely and anyway so uh, thank you for letting us go uh, so. Um, uh, here's your question for today. Talk about this around your table. This is the time of year when we start thinking about uh, harvest. So we're a couple of weeks. We're going to go be with our kids for a few days. And uh, when harvest comes in in fruit country in Michigan, it's a great thing. Uh, one of our first years up, going up there, we got Glowhaven peaches that were this big around and you know, made some stuff out of that. Anyway, so I'm hoping some of that stuff will be in. What's your, tell your table, what's your favorite fruit or vegetable that you look forward to being right this time of year? Okay, and uh, what else did I write there? Um, uh, do you like it cooked or raw? So um, one of mine is watermelon. I don't need that cooked. So, uh, okay, talk about that around your table, all right? <laughs> Point game. Okay. Did it make you hungry to talk about this? Make you a little hungry to talk about this? Um, what What was your favorite? What are you looking most forward to or you're glad it's here? Uh, one of the things I've noticed is the watermelon trucks are everywhere. I love that season of the year. Mark, what... What from St. Louis do they they look forward to this time of year? Some of the best peaches I've ever had come from Illinois. Mm, uh, mm. <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I like, okay. I like melons too this time. Yeah, but peaches. This is kind of the time. Is are, is Stratford? Is that thing already over? That's over. Okay. My mom and dad used to love to go to Colorado this time of year just for the peaches. Um, they'd come back with boxes of peaches. Now yeah. they send them down here. Uh, do they? They send, send truckloads, semi-truckloads okay. of peaches from that Cunningham Orchards up there in Colorado. Wow. I just know that's a thing. And Somebody else? What's your favorite? Okra. Okra. It's time for okra, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know what, Sally? When you go to the restaurant and get okra, it's not what you're talking about. Um, it's just not. It's a different thing. It's a... Uh, 
a little bit of dusted, uh, dusting of, uh, of um, cornmeal or whatever. Yeah, a little salt and pepper. That's pretty hard to beat. With a fresh tomato, that's really good. Uh, my deal, what, one of my deals was, uh, I used to let my mom make this. Rhonda does it really well. I can even do it when put to the test. But um, when tomatoes start coming in, doing fresh tomatoes and cucumbers with a little bit of onion in, in vinegar and a little bit of sugar. And uh, uh, that's just one of my favorite salads of all time. Uh, yeah, Allie. Mine's really not the summer, mine's more fall, but I love pumpkin seeds. So I love to just even get a pumpkins and carve so I can okay. pumpkin seeds out of it. What's well, interesting, where was I this weekend? And, uh, um, and there's already harvest stuff out, you know, pumpkin stuff out. So um, I'm thinking, uh, have you looked outside yet? You know. All right, we're going to talk about produce. So, Michael. Just one thing about of all the feast of the Lord, would come in tabernacles would be the 14th day of, of the Sabbath month. Right. And it is the most joyous of all the feasts. And it the is ingathering the of all this stuff. Of the fruits. Yeah. The wine. Yeah. Uh, all of that stuff. Grain and wine and all. Yeah. Okay. I, I want you to go with me to Matthew 13. Let me give you a little bit of a background. Jesus is going to give us a parable today. And he's going to, this is the first one that he begins this way. In this one, he begins it by saying, the kingdom of God is like. This is the first one of those that he begins that way. Now, um, uh, interestingly, I think at least... Um, uh, Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there's a couple of reasons he uses that phrase 32 times. The other gospel writers use the kingdom of God dozens of times, but they're all talking about the same thing. Um, uh, uh, it's interesting. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is not defined by territory or government. It doesn't levy a tax or conscript people for military service. The kingdom of God is basically where uh, God reigns as king. It's uh, the dominion of his authority, where there's no limit to the potential of what it has going on. Uh, I, it was interesting, um, 10 days ago, two weeks ago, uh, I was given a tour, uh, Ron and I were given a tour of the, the great Duomo in Milan, um, um, uh, with uh, a, a professor from uh, the Catholic University there who knows this place inside and out. If you remember the COVID year, uh, if you're like me, I had heard this was coming. I dialed it up on YouTube. Um, uh, Andrea Bocelli did a concert for the world uh, on that Easter when we couldn't go to church. Remember that? And it was right there on the front porch so to speak, of the Duomo of Milan. Well, well uh, uh, Dr. Grumo took us through uh, about a three-hour tour of this place. And we began to look around. He and I began to look around before we walked in at uh, all the opulence around us. Uh, right outside of that Duomo is where Prada and Gucci and all these stores are. And he looked at, and, and in fact, on the side of, on the back side of the Duomo, there is now a, a, a jumbotron playing commercials. And he said, 
he looked at me and said, in his very good English, even though he's a lifelong Italian, he said to me, the kingdoms are in conflict here. The kingdom of God is in, in conflict with the kingdom of the dollar and, and kingdom of this world. Well, that's what Jesus is going to talk about that a little bit today in, in this uh, context. Uh, you know, both John the Baptist and Jesus talked about uh, some things that signaled the kingdom of God being here. When the gospel is preached, the kingdom of God is here. Uh, um, uh, Jesus' disciples often heard him speak about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And they were astonished about that and often really confused. Go with me just for a second to Matthew 19. I'm going to take you to uh, verse 23. This is one that just confused me. And um, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we could spend an hour or more on that right there. But basically, I wanted to read that because look at their reaction, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were really astonished and said, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people this is impossible, but with God all things are, are possible. So uh, he would say things to them, or he would tell stories like this about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, and they would scratch their heads like, what? So um, this is going to be a kind of another one of those occasions. Uh, the, the good news is he's able to kind of unpack it for them. Uh, so this is the first time in the Gospels, certainly in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus uses the phrase to introduce his story. He uses the phrase, the kingdom of God is like, or the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, Steve Blair, can I get you to start us? I'm going to have you go to verse 24 from Matthew 13 and read down through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Okay, so there's the parable. Uh, now, can I get some help from you? I need, I need four or five verses for us to read coming, coming up. So 1 Thessalonians 5.2, who will find that one? Allie, 1 Thessalonians 5.2 would be great. If somebody would, would then also go to Matthew 24, I want somebody to read verse 40 and 41. Okay, Matthew 24, verse 40 and 41. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and have us uh, 1 Peter 5, 8. Who will get that one? Cindy, you mind to get that one? John, can I get you to get, uh, I, I put a, a, a longer passage, but, but I want just one verse. Revelation 14, 15. Revelation 14, 15. Jeremiah 12, 1. Who will get that one? Jeremiah 12, 1. Mark, thank you. And... Uh, uh, one more, Daniel 12, 3. Sally, that'd be great, Daniel 12, 3. Okay, now, um, 
This story that he tells, and he tells both stories in uh, Matthew 13. In fact, he begins Matthew, in Matthew 13. It kind of begins with the parable of the uh, sower and the seed. Okay, we're not gonna. We're just kind of kind of make a glancing blow at that when we looked at it a few weeks ago. But um, uh, interestingly, this story is both similar and different from this earlier one. Uh, as Steve read it, how is it similar? Seed being sowed, right? How is it different? There's an enemy that, that's really clear here involved in this deal. Uh, but one of the things you might notice is that where he's sowing in this story, where the sower is sowing, all of the ground is fertile. Remember the other one? There was all kinds of problems with the ground. In this one, all the ground is fertile, and we're going to see that, um, that as kind of we unpack the story. So, um, now, what is sowed in verse 25 is and I, I put it in, in uh, italics here. If your Bible's like mine, there's a note at the bottom of the page uh, in, uh, on verse 25 when it says, um, while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares. And I've got a little footnote right there. What does yours say there? Darnell. 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 So if your name is Darnell, I'm sorry. We're not going to speak very kindly about you today. <laughs> Uh, Darnell, uh, in, and in my Bible, it says, this is interesting, a weed resembling wheat. So what is sowed is Darnell, a weed resembling wheat. All right, now, um, by the way, could it be any more gross than that, you know? Um, I'm constantly keeping up with this kind of stuff. Grass and Johnson grass, you know? Uh, if you grew up in Oklahoma, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, um, this reference to Darnell, um, I read this week the, um, the uh, scientific name, Lolium temulentum. Okay, that's the uh, botanical name for it. It looks like wheat until it matures, then they look different. Um, it is sometimes called poison wheat. It can make you really sick, can make you really uh, nauseated and that kind of thing, even though they look a little bit alike until they're, they're fully grown. Um, uh, so um, uh, what I want you to catch here is um, there is no negligence here in verse 25. They sow the, the sower sows the wheat. But something else happens. It's not like, oh, why are you sleeping? It's in the middle of the night when you're supposed to be asleep. There's not, don't, don't go there on that. There's an enemy who comes behind all this and sows Darnell. Uh, how awful is that? How, you ever kind of deal with something in your garden, your flower garden, and, and you think, how did that get there? Uh, you know, how did that get there? I, I think that nearly every day when I'm pulling weeds. How did that get there? I didn't plant that there. 
Okay, so um, uh, what is sowed is this kind of weed that looks like wheat. Who's got First Thessalonians 5-2? I do. Thank you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. It's interesting that, that Paul uses this thought of there's some things that happen like a thief in the night. So there's, there's somebody here, an enemy it says, an enemy who comes along behind your good work and sows some evil. Some bad things. All right, look at verse 26 and 27. With time, the difference between the two plants becomes apparent. At first, the two plants seem pretty identical. But notice the concern of the servants in verse 26 and 27. Uh, unlike the earlier parable, all of the plants grow. But as they grow up, the servants are saying, how did these weeds get here? Um, because they all grew together. And they're alarmed by that. You, you catch that in verse 26 and 27? Um, um, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? How, how does it have darnel? I, I think that's really interesting. So... The uh, sower, the farmer here, the landowner, let's say, in verse 28, um, uh, the servants are ready to take action. What do they want to do in verse 28? They want to pull it up. And the sower says, no, no. They're ready to take action. But the farmer, the sower says, you know, there's an enemy who's done this, and they say, can we pull them? Can we just go in? I, I, I love the, the industry of these uh, uh, slaves um, or servants or whatever they are. They say to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? And in verse 29, he says, no, wait. I wonder why he tells them to wait. Did you catch that as you read through? They can't tell a complete difference yet. And these things are wrapped in such a way that if you pull them up now prematurely, you're going to pull some of the good stuff, the real thing. Sometimes it's best to just wait. There might be collateral damage. Okay. I need you to stick with me for a minute because I'm going to say something that might appear to you a little bit controversial depending on kind of what your view is the end times are. If this parable is viewed as a parable at least referring to the end of all things, okay, then there's something, the, the sequence of events is really interesting. Uh, who's got Matthew 24, verse 40 and 41? Karen, uh, read that good and strong back there. This is talking about the coming of Jesus, talking about the, the second coming, it's talking about the end of all things, and it says this. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Okay, now, a guy by the name of Jerry Jenkins made lots of money on those two verses. 
wrote lots of books and a whole uh, uh, movie series on Left Behind. You know that, that whole thing? Okay. Uh, by the way, it might interest you to know, um, uh, Ellie, you were talking to me about, about The Chosen. The Chosen is done by Dallas Jenkins. That's Jerry's son. I, I find that really interesting. Um, uh, so Jenkins and LaHaye write all these series of books on Left Behind. But if you link Matthew 24 with what we're studying in Matthew 13, the sequence is different, isn't it? You catch this? According to Jesus in Matthew 13, what's left behind? The good stuff. The good stuff. But according to Jerry Jenkins, what's left behind are bad people. But just interesting. Just let that mess with your head a little bit, okay? Um, unless this all happens kind of fairly simultaneously, not seven years apart or, you know, whatever. Okay, so uh, just think about that a little bit. If you try to kind of pull the two of those together, um, uh, it's interesting to me at least, who is left behind? Um, uh, it would be us, the kingdom people. And, and the idea would be, at least if I follow what Jesus is saying in Matthew 13, um, uh, the separation will come, but it will all come at the end. Think about that just a little bit. I'll let you, uh, let you write me nasty emails this week. By the way, I have a, a different email, so if you, if, you, if you know that, then you're good. All right, now... Uh, um, so he says, sometimes it's best to just wait because we're going to separate all this out uh, at the end, he says. Now, now, let's read the next little section. Um, uh, I, I think it's going to give us some detail because they hear him tell the story. They get back home and they say, uh, sir, you got to tell us what's going on here. Okay. John, can I get you to read uh, 36 through 43? <clears throat> then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. <clears throat> okay, I want to say something encouraging to you, and I want you to think about this story in this context. By the way, as I said, uh, the disciples suspect a deeper meaning, and there was one. And so they wait till they get back probably at home in Capernaum, and they say, okay, Jesus, teacher, tell us what you're talking about here. 
So, but I want you to encourage you with this part of the story. Um, this whole thing ought to give you and me comfort. Okay? Because what we see every day, if you read the newspaper or watch TV news, is this kingdoms in conflict problem. And what Jesus is saying is, uh, let it go. When all this is over, it's going to be okay. Do you think the master knows the difference between healthy wheat and Darnell? I think so. I think so. All right, now, so as John read here, it's got a kind of a deeper meaning here. But uh, the allegory that, that be, begin, as he begins to unpack it in verse 36 and 37, the allegory here is a little different from the earlier one in chapter 13. Um, so what's the good seed here? Believers. Earlier, it was the gospel, right? What is it here? Believers. You. Sons and daughters of the kingdom. I, I think that doesn't it say that kind of in, in verse 26 here, uh, verse 36 here. Um, he left the crowds, went in the house, and they say, explain it. And uh, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Uh, that, that one's kind of the middle square on the bingo card. Okay, you kind of figure he's the sower. He loves to call himself the son of man. Uh, so, so the sower is the son of man. The good seed um, uh, is uh, not the word which was sowed in the earlier story, but if you look at verse 38, the good seed, these are the sons, and you could say daughters, of the kingdom. And the tares, he says, are the sons of the evil one. So um, these are kingdom people versus those who are not in the kingdom. It's you. The good seed is you. Pat yourself on the back. Don't break your arm, but pat yourself on the back. Okay? And in verse 38, he talks about the field being the world. Now, um, probably the most quoted verse in all of Scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved, there's that term, the world. Uh, what I want us to understand here, I think, is that there is no... Uh, limit to uh, the scope of the reach of the gospel. The field is global. When you read about even the most dark, closed countries, you read about glimmers of hope. I was reading an article yesterday about uh, the gospel spreading in Russia and the Ukraine during all this stuff that's been going on the last year. Interesting. Now, there's also lots and lots of things to be concerned about. But it's like Jesus is saying, okay, be on the right side of this, but wait, I, there are a lot of wheat growing with the tares. Um, I'm going to say something uh, personal here. Uh, my freshman year of college, on most days, I was at a big, secular, high-powered university. 
And on most days, I felt like a stalk of wheat in a field of weeds. Uh, when I was, my freshman year of college was the first annual, you know, in the spring, streak night. <laughs> and I remember sitting in my dorm room thinking, where in the world am I? <laughs> Fast forward a year, and I found myself planted in a Christian college. Joe, you and me both. And it was so much different that the environment I was in, the encouragement to my faith that it was. Now, I made it through my freshman year with my faith intact. In fact, I, I did a lot of things to make sure that happened, uh, despite the fact that in many of my classes, my faith was trying to be, the, the professors were trying to deconstruct my faith. And those that I was living around, it's kind of the same thing. But be careful, will you? If, if you've got, if you have uh, children or grandchildren that are attending a secular, uni secular university, you, you better hit your knees, you know? Uh, now, I will hasten to say, I have friends who attended Christian universities whose faith was deconstructed their freshman year too. I'm just telling you my story. We need to pray for 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. Um, it's just a time when I'm trying to figure out my life. And lots of influences can, can affect that. Just be careful that you don't, they don't end up feeling as I did, a, a stalk of wheat in a, an immense weed field. Mary? We need to pray for Campus Crusade for Christ. Yep. Everybody that's trying to teach small Bible groups and fraternities yep. and sororities, that they will bring more students in to know Christ. I, I spent a lot of time my freshman year with Campus Crusaders, yeah. with Navigators, and I think that was one of the saving graces yes. of my freshman year. It is so important yeah. that they just keep and the I, light shining. I found other wheat friends that I started hanging out with. Okay, so you kind of get the idea here. Uh, but the field means there's no limit to the scope of the reach of the gospel. So in verse 39, he's going to identify three more in this kind of analogy. He's going to give us three more identifications. It's clear here that the other sower was the devil. The enemy was the sower. Uh, who's got 1 Peter 5, 8? Thank you, Cindy. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion looking for someone to devour. It's Peter's really clear here. He, he's not just a you know a guy in a red union suit with a fork of tail and a pitchfork. He's trying to destroy you, and he'll sow any seed he can to help in that effort. The harvest here, uh, the enemies of the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, the end of time. Uh, uh, the harvesters are angels here. It seems like now. So if you look at verse forty. Uh, it seems clear to me that the final judgment is more than just an event. It is the very end. The end. Who's got, uh, uh, John, did I hand you Revelation 14, 15? Yes. 
Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Here, there's an event that is, that is scheduled for the end of a period of time, but it's also talking about the very end. And angels will be involved in that. It's the end. In that time, Jesus is going to send out, verse 41 and 42, his angels to do something really interesting. And I never caught this until I really began to study this particular passage. What do the angels destroy? Do you catch that? In verse 41 and 42, angels are not destroying people. What are they destroying? The tools of sin. Now, we can spend a little time right here talking about what the tools of sin are. I just find that really interesting. Um, he's going to remove the tools of sin. Did, some, did I give somebody Jeremiah 12, 1? Thank you, Mark. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Both Jeremiah... And Solomon say, boy, it just I scratch my head when I see how the wicked prosper. And Jeremiah says, don't let that bug you. Let the tares grow with the wheat. So Jesus is going to send out his angels to, the first thing he's going to do is remove the tools of sin. Because uh, you and I know that in other places it teaches us that there will be no sin there in heaven. So the tools of sin must be destroyed. And the wicked won't prosper forever. That's kind of that, that thing here. <clears throat> but look at verse 43. What happens to the wheat? What do they do? Shine. Shine. Now, i got to tell you something. Rhonda knows this. So before I say it, Rhonda knows this. There's a naked lady in my garden. <laughs> I don't know how she got there. Huh? What? Uh, it's, it's one of those pink flowers. I don't know how she got there. But she comes up every year. Okay, if you don't know what that is, be careful that you Google correctly naked lady. Cause you, anyway, but um, every year she shines. Every year she shines. Uh, who's got Daniel 12, 3? Sally? Those who impart wisdom will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You shine, and you're going to shine forever. I read an article this week. I, I recommend it. Um, Christianity Today, which I subscribe to, had a, an insert on Timothy Keller. Now, uh, Tim Keller died in May, I think, um, as a result of, of a bout with uh, uh, pancreatic cancer. But he was a, a great thinker, a great theologian, and a great preacher. Um, he's, he's the guy who started, um, he went to plant a church in the roughest part of New York City and planted then dozens of churches from that one in New York City. 
But because of that, and when he did it, he was doing that when 9-11 took place. He was working in New York City when 9-11 took place. And I read uh, from this some of the, the uh, transcript of his sermon on what would that have been, 9-16 or whatever. The, uh, the 9-11 was on a Tuesday. It was that next Sunday. And all of us had to scramble to what are we going to say? You need to read what Timothy Keller said in New York City the Sunday after 9-11. One of the things he began to talk about in this sermon is a recurring nightmare that he has. Um, uh, and, and he describes it. I won't describe it to you, but he describes it. And he says, isn't it wonderful when you wake up from a nightmare and realize that didn't really happen. Yeah. <laughs> what Keller says about things like 9-11 and other things that Jeremiah says, you see the wicked prosper and you wonder, how long are you going to let this go on? And Jesus says, hang on, when the harvest comes, I'll sort it all out. One of the things Keller says is when that day comes, all the bad stuff will just be proven to be untrue. Think about it. The worst dream you've ever had. I have a recurring bad dream. Did that happen? No. When I woke up, you remember that feeling after having a nightmare and you wake up and you think, oh man, I'm glad that was only a dream. Keller says, that's what Jesus is bringing to bear. You and I don't need uh, healing from all that. We need a resurrection from all that. And that's what is promised to us at the end of the age. He says, hang on, wait a bit. You don't need to pull up the, the good stuff or the bad stuff. My messengers will take care of that when the time comes. And remember, part of what our reality is these days is a bad dream from which one of these days I'll realize that wasn't even true. I hope this little story encourages you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take another little journey through um, uh, Matthew 13 next week. We're going to talk about things that matter, uh, things like the pearl of great price that matter. Try to unpack that a little bit. I hope you'll join me if you're in town. Have a great week. So good to see you. Thank you for being here.